Hi, my name's Toby Shapshak, and I like to speak to interesting people about interesting things. Kun Yonke is one of those unreasonable people George Bernard Shaw talks about. And he said, the reasonable person adapts themselves to their circumstances. The unreasonable person adapts their circumstances to them. Or in Kun's case, he didn't like the way banking was being done and his genius partners, I should add. And he built his own bank. Well, firstly, hello, Kun. Hello, Toby. And secondly, why did you do it? What were you thinking? I had no idea how crazy I really was when we started this. And it turned out to be way, way more difficult uh, than we expected. You, but, you know, but once you're in it, once you're in the forest hacking your way through, you have no choice. You just have to keep going. Uh, and it's turned out to be a spectacular adventure for all of us. I like that. I think I'm going to start calling you Kun Livingston. <laughs> Dr. Kun Livingston, I presume. What have you found in darkest uh, Southeast Asia? Um, because, of course, the Time Bank is no longer just uh, an African innovation. You've exported this very clever way of doing smartphone-based banking to a whole nother region, and if I'm not mistaken, you're thriving. Yes, we, uh, we're in uh, um, the Philippines now, uh, and this month we grew in the Philippines by more than 200,000 customers. So in the year we've been there, we have got over a million customers, and we're now growing there sure. at roughly the same price, pace that we're growing in South Africa. Which is impressive. And your South African customers, because as an interviewer, I would know these off the top of my head, are how many? 7.9 million customers as we speak. So we'll get to 8 million customers in the next month or so. Impressive. Uh, I was pretty impressed earlier this year, you had a launch about some of the clever things you were doing with the Fushini Group. TFG. And I thought that was a clever way of tying up well-trusted brands to bring banking further to people. Because at the end of the day, that's what everybody's trying to achieve, get the benefits of digital banking, the power of saving money and doing things digitally and not paying for cash into people's hands. And this is the way to do it, isn't it? Uh, yes, and you know you you mentioned the trusted brands. As you know, we've got the partnership with with Pick and Pay, with Boxer, with TFG. We've got a partnership with the ZCC Church, and we're working on more of them. What we're seeing is a real is the future is sort of embedded and contextual banking, which is you don't have to come to us to the branch to do your banking. We'll bring banking to where you do business and where you live your life every day. And, uh, and, we, and embedded into the relationships that you already have and that already make sense in your life. And, and the TFG group is actually a really good example of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with that. I like that concept of embedded banking. Uh, it's a hell of a lot better than embedded journalism, one would say. But it's a good idea because you no longer go to the bank. I mean, I remember... My mother told me about Spring Day that when she went up the road to the local, I think it was Barclays or Ned Bank that, that long ago, every woman was given a flower on Spring Day, you know, when you went to the bank. I remember as a kid, my mother dragging us, my sister and I, off to the bank on a Saturday morning was, was kind of one of the things you did. I really like the idea that you go do your shopping and you can deposit money, withdraw money, move things around, use the kiosk where you are, either at Pick and Pay or Boxer or a, a Fushini store. I mean, that is the future of, I suppose, 
every kind of service, isn't it? Stop making people come to you, go to where they are. Exactly. And the ultimate, obviously, is is being able to do it from the couch in front of the TV or from your desk uh, uh, in your study at home. Uh, and uh, so getting into that last kilometer where you can walk there, but ideally getting into the last meter where you can just pick up your phone and it's all there. And, and it is. I've, I've been a Time Bank user. I'm impressed with the, the way I've seen the app grow and develop. What I like about Time Bank as a company is you never seem to rest on your laurels. If you haven't conquered South Africa, there you are off to go conquer the Philippines. Yeah, Toby, you know, it's an interesting thing that we're realizing that um, success in banking and in financial services in the future, and I think in all sort of consumer-facing technology-based businesses, is actually a function of how fit you are, so how fast you're able to continue to run. Because you never build something and it's done, because there's always somebody doing something better than you. And so I, fi- I think we find ourselves in a perpetual state of uh, sort of unease and dissatisfaction with what, where we are and how well we're doing. Uh, because if, if you're not looking at the traditional players, if you're looking at the best players out there in digital banking and in fintech, you constantly feel behind. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that sense of, that sense of urgency to constantly improve what you're doing um, uh, is important. And so the way we now think of ourselves, we think of ourselves as serial bank builders or perpetual bank builders because we think we're never going to stop building. Yes, let's go with perpetual because serial often has another word behind it that, that isn't Kellogg's. True, true, uh, true, true. Let's call it perpetual banking. I like that because, you know, what, what struck me last year, you know, I was looking at, at, at a bunch of things and, and interviewing someone and they were saying, this is what modern banking should look like. And I thought, it's so interesting, those of us that have come from going to a branch on a weekend or, you know, standing at an ATM making payments. I remember being part of the first trial for NetBank's online banking called NetBank, uh, mostly because my best friend was working on the project and didn't tell anyone else I was a journalist and I happened to be a, a NetBank customer at the time. And the only reason I often say I chose NetBank is I preferred the green color of their cards. Um, talk about choices of, of banking services. And we now live in an age where there are things you can do that were just never possible. You talk about banking on the couch. You know, I'm, I do all my online shopping for my 95-year-old mother or from my phone. I do all my payments from my phone, you know, and, and, and that really is, is the way we operate in the world. But just because we've gotten to this amazing place where we can do that, it doesn't mean we've gotten to the end of the destination. The journey is the destination, isn't it? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and I think success is taking every next step um, at the right pace, because as you know, with something like banking that's highly, highly regulated, you always have this challenge that you want to go as fast as possible, but you don't want to go so fast that you get completely ahead of the game uh, in terms of what the, regulator, the regulation will tolerate you doing. And so innovation really becomes this sort of, I think, the science and art of pacing the progression of the business well. I don't have to call a man who's moved to the Philippines to, you know, carry on running his bank anything less than a perpetual banker. Um, I mean, I, I quite like that. I call Michael Yordan a celebrity banker. I'm going to start calling you a perpetual banker. 
Um, I'll take that. Sorry for giving you the nickname you gave yourself, but it's it's true because your history couldn't, uh, and that of your founding partners was in banking. I mean, I know some of the history. Uh, you helped set up one of the first uh, Muslim banks in South Africa and a bunch of other pretty cutting-edge things for their time. You know, it's interesting, you know, Toby, we've both seen these cycles and, and these and sort of these developments over time. Um and something that looked very cutting edge when you were doing it back in the early 2000s sort of is no longer modern. It's, no, it's, it's old hat now. Um, and I think for all of us, the challenge is, can you, you know, can you stay uh, curious? Uh, can you stay hungry? And, and can you, can you um, are you able to keep at the front end of where consumers' requirements are? And where technology is. Um, and I think that's the adventure for all of us. Which is kind of what most companies that are consumer facing want to do, don't they? They, you know, if you're a, a fashion brand like TFG, you want to do exactly that. What are your customers doing? Where are your customers moving? How do you go where they are to do the things you want them to do, be it banking, fashion? or any other process. You're right. And increasingly, these trends are not as domestic as we think. Um, increasingly, what we're seeing is that these trends sort of wash across the whole world. And that uh, one of the things we're seeing between South Africa and the Philippines is that the consumers in the two markets, markets are remarkably similar. Um, yes. You know, I think we, we, we all suffer from a bit of exceptionalism. We think, you know, South Africans are so different from Filipinos. And what we're learning, and, and, and our data analytics teams are showing this to us in the behavioral patterns of customers on our platform, is actually people are not that, that different, uh, which means that as new technology and new opportunities for consumers to, to do things in different and better ways happen in the world, we just have to become better at responding to them. And so, so in a way, the way I think about it, we always used to think about strategy as can you predict the future? You know, can you predict the next thing? Increasingly, I'm saying it's actually not about that. Is can you see it as it happens, and and are you able to respond to it fast? I, mean, I would like to say on your behalf, yes, you appear to be doing that because that gives us a useful segue into the latest thing that that Time Bank has launched, which is PayShap, which I think is one of the most brilliant things to happen to finance and banking perhaps ever it's a it's a, a game changer yes toby what you said there i think is spot on pay shop for south africa is a game changer and we've seen this game changer play out in other markets uh, uh notably india and pakistan and that is that if you able to create in a market a real time free or close free push payment mechanism that allows people to use a phone number as the identifier for the payment, you can reach this holy grail of, of the digital world, which is to turn the cash economy into a digital economy. And PayShop is, is that key that unlocks the true digitization of the cash economy, if it is executed right. And the key thing, to my mind, is that it's just your phone number. 
isn't it? It's, it's, it's the simplest thing. You say identifier, I say digital signifier. We know that it's something like PayShap will work because it worked with email addresses for PayPal. There was a time in our lives, probably like last Thursday, <laughs> given the pace of how things change, where emails were our our digital signifiers on the internet, and more and more and more, that is our mobile number. If not for the internet, definitely for communication. Why? We all use WhatsApp. We use our phone number as that signifier or identifier. So when I say to you, you know, how can I pay you? I can pay you because I've already got your phone number and vice versa. It provides an ease of, of, of usability that we've never seen before in banking or in payments or transactions. That's right. And, and what you have is the two legs, Toby. So the leg number one is ease of use. And you're quite right. Watch, WhatsApp changed the world because it actually made that phone number your key identifier. I love that. And the second is cost of use. So for digital payments to compete with cash, it has to be free or near free. And what PayShop has done is it's created the ecosystem for banks to, to price this transaction, for small transactions at least, uh, at a free or near free level. Yeah, and as you know, we've, done the, we've gone the big step forward that no other bank has done in South Africa, which is to offer PayShop transactions for free irrespective of the value of the transaction uh, to our customers. Uh, and that was a very deliberate move to convince our customers to actually move the bulk of their transactions, including their small and micro transactions, out of the cash, physical cash world and into the digital world. And well done for doing it. And in fact, that's the reason we're doing this interview today, because Time Bank is the first, and as far as I know so far, only bank that's offering this as a free service, as it should be. You know, it's 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 what it should be. You 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 look at the success of something like Mpesa, Mpesa managed to disintermediate all of the existing banking and financial infrastructure, albeit it was was very difficult to reach in Kenya and East Africa, by not having a legacy business to protect. And, I, and I've said this to the, the, the other banks, you know, you, you, this is not the way to do it. It has to be free. It's, it's, if you don't make it free, someone else is going to make it free and you're going to lose those customers. So maybe uh, Time Bank's going to clap uh, 8 million a little bit sooner. Well, we're seeing enthusiastic take-up. We've had a great response from the market on it. And I think particularly, you know, there's, there are two segments of customers who really appreciate this approach to payments. The one is micro-businesses. Because, you know, if you even look at yes. something like card acceptance, it's still an expensive thing for a small business. You know, a small business that has to give away somewhere between 25 and 5% of their turnover for the privilege of taking a card transaction. That's a real number in a small and a micro-business's life. Being able to now accept that same payment and it costs you nothing, that's, that's, that's meaningful for that segment. And the other segment is uh, poorer consumers. So consumers that are price sensitive and, and, and where uh, transaction fees uh, is, is, is a number that they actually notice and know. Now, wealthy people don't even know what they pay for transactions, but poor people do. I've often said poor people are the most 
financially savvy people out there because they have to watch literally every cent. And it's if you've got something that appeals to a market that is that cost sensitive, mm. you know, all power to the people. Yeah. So PayShap should be free. It's a no-brainer that it should be free. If you start putting a, a cost to it, people are just not going to use it. Why should And I'll they? say something that's maybe controversial. I think the only reason a bank would price this transaction up is to prevent the cannibalization of some other revenue stream. Because there's no inherent reason in this payment type that you would actually uh, charge a big fee for it. Exactly, because it's, it, it is a literally a mechanism designed for quick, instant, free payments. I, I mean, I, I see the application so often, and I, I'm, I'm not a banker. I just look at the world and can see how you can make things better mm-hmm. and simpler, pay money, give money easier, you know, tip a car guard, tip the guy who makes your cappuccino. There's so many other ways that, that this can be applied in a way that traditional banking just can't because it's more complicated. Create a beneficiary, pay them, do this, Correct. do that. Uh, whereas PayShap is, is a much faster mechanism. And you've already got the person's banking details if they're in your phone contact. That's right. Uh, the, the other thing, of course, you know, people would say, well, why would you provide a payment type like this for free if you can charge for it? And the answer is quite simple is that if you move in terms of the mindset as a bank, you move the mindset away from thinking about the valuable thing as transaction fees to thinking about the valuable thing as the data you're able to get on your customer by seeing uh, who they pay and who they get paid uh, by and being able to use that data to provide better services to your customer for every other service type that you have, then, then suddenly it actually becomes a fair trade-off. It's no longer, you know, so our mindset is not that we're doing our customers an enormous favor by doing this. Our mindset is that we're getting to know our customers in a way that we would never otherwise have gotten to know our customer, customer, and that action actually opens up amazing new opportunity for us uh, as, their, as their financial services provider, not only to convince them to take on other services, but actually to do things that are better for the customer because we understand the customer more deeply. I mean, there you have it in a few succinct sentences, which is the way most banks need to move. South African banks have had it lucky. We have very high transaction fees and account fees. You know, in other parts of the world, that's that's just not a business model. Um, and if South African banks want to innovate and be innovative, they also need to look at their business model. So it pleases me to see that because all it takes is one person, you know, uh, Lars Reichelt, when he was the CEO of, of Celsi a decade or so ago, you know, he, he started a, a data war. Um, and then the other big players had to follow suit. You know, you, you, I don't think you think of yourself as a combative, you know, uh, uh, take the troops over the top and lead from the front kind of guy. But that's in effect what I think Time Bank is doing. You, you're laying down a marker, which is this should be free. We're making it free. Uh, why would consumers pay for a service from another bank if they can get it from your bank for free? It's it's the beginning to my mind of a of a, a much needed let's not call it data war but a price war. Yes, and I, and I think I think on this one, 
on this one, we've got very high conviction that this is the right thing for consumers and it's the right thing for the country um, because um, ultimately um, moving an entire economy from being physical cash-based to digitally-based uh, is, um, is, I think, what is a is one of the keys to, to, to unlocking the benefits of a digital economy. Um, together with a few others, uh, low, actually low data cost is another key where I think South yes. Africa has made progress, but we're not where we need to be. You know, if you can't compare South Africa, for instance, to India on data costs, um, uh, South Africa actually needs to be even cheaper in data costs. And then the other one is digital identity. So if you can have the combination of yes. low data cost, digital identity, you know, biometric digital identity and free payments, um, it unlocks a whole new um, path to innovation in financial services and in other uh, consumer services uh, that is truly transformative for an entire generation in a country. You had me a truly transformative because it is. I mean, this is a generation of, of kids who are going to grow up not knowing that the telephone used to be plugged into the wall with the cable or, you know, pre-smartphone, you could only use a, a, a T9 predictive dictionary on a keypad on a phone. You know, the things our generation grew up with, internet banking, there's no such thing anymore. It's all mobile app-based banking and and that's that really is in a way kun meeting your customers where they are already well done thank you no we're very excited about it we do know though uh toby for all of us there's so much work still to do and our sense is that these trends are speeding up they're not slowing down agreed well i've taken enough of your uh, very busy time kun yonker the ceo and co-founder of time bank thank you very much for joining us I probably should have started with uh, all of those accolades, but uh, well done. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for listening to T2S2. My name is Toby Shapshak. The executive producer is Sally Hudson. Our director of audio is Hans Baumgarten. You can read more every day on stuff.co.za. And please like us or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help. Thank you. Thank you.